Welcome to the Becoming Well podcast. Join Dr. Deb Gordon and Mary Hendrickson as they get real in wrestling with the topic of faith and mental health as we seek to understand what Jesus really means when he says, be well. Today's episode of Becoming Well focuses on therapy. What was it like for you? How did your faith play out in therapy? Did your therapist include faith in counseling? Was your therapist a Christian? Hey, Mary. Hey. So in this episode, I want to tackle a more personal topic, Mm -hmm. going to therapy. Fun. You and I (laughs) have not shied away from the fact that we have both done our own personal counseling and gone through that experience. We teach future counselors. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think this is kind of one of those really uncomfortable things that when people finally get to that point of recognizing, hey, maybe therapy would be helpful, Mm -hmm. they don't really know what to expect. Right. Or maybe even just the thought of going to counseling is is what's prevented them from even thinking about it in the first place. Mm And, um, you know, I don't know that the media necessarily does a great job. They make fun of us a lot in in TV shows. Yep. (laughs) We're always having affairs with our clients or, (laughs) oh my gosh. Or where's the kooky ones. (laughs) We're all messed up. Right. Or all we do is ask, how do you feel about that? Right. So I'd like to dive into kind of our own experiences with counseling and be able to share with other people what it's like to go to counseling. We've both been clients. We're both counselors. And um, I'll maybe kind of give a better picture of what that looks like. I love this topic because I try to be transparent so that other people can feel that it's okay. You know, when people find out that your counsel, you know, a counselor goes to counseling or a therapist goes to therapy, it's no different than a medical doctor that has to check themselves in as, you know, in their residency as a patient to see how it feels, right? You, you know, especially for my students, I always tell them at the very least, you will understand what it feels like to be on the other side of the couch, you know, on the other side of the couch or, you know, on the other side in terms of what your client is going to feel that anxiety, that fear of sharing, that, you know, fear of being misunderstood or judged. We have to feel that. We do. It makes a huge difference. That was actually the first time that I went to counseling Mm -hmm. was when I was in grad school, we had a scholarship fund and we were able to apply and get some money Mm -hmm. to go to a couple counseling sessions. And, um, you know, I went in with this mentality of, I don't have any problems, Mm -hmm. but at least I'm here to uh, figure out what this feels like. And then all of a sudden realized I had... (laughs) Plenty of things <laughs> I needed to deal with. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. A lot of which kind of centered around my relationships and my fears mm-hmm. of things like dating and being mm-hmm. alone and anxiety and even some of the things that came out of my family of origin, which, you know, I had a, I had a pretty great childhood. Mm-hmm. But at the time when I started going to counseling, my mom was navigating um, undiagnosed and untreated mental illness, Mm -hmm. and it was putting a lot of pressure on me in terms of how to best care for my family needs Mm -hmm. and um, how to set healthy boundaries and just really even to understand myself. And so probably maybe 10 minutes into that first session, I realized, oh, I could probably actually benefit from this time with my therapist. But I did go in initially with the motivation of just seeing what it would be like to be a client. Right. And, and, you know, if that gets you there, because that's still a good thing, but it it is that that kind of uh, psych 
just kidding moment <laughs> when you do go <laughs> because it then, you know, taps into this this realization that, oh, I'm the client, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I, you know, I think I told this story, you know, to a couple of my students where, you know, I just recently went to a conference. And I think I told you this too as well. Um, phenomenal, just, she's done genius work, Dr. Tama uh, Bryant-Davis. And she did this great conference at Fuller in, um, in California, Orange County. And she did one on trauma, right? And before the, you know, the trauma session, I went to her other session and I was crying, you know, it was about me, you know, it kind of broke my face a little bit. But I thought, all right, I'm going to go to this trauma session because I don't really have any like trauma that I can think of, but it'll be good tools for me to use for my clients or for, <laughs> yeah. for my students to learn about trauma, right? And I'll just go, I kind of felt like this sense of relief, like, whew, okay, I can actually go in as this learner and I'm not going to be, you know, feeling as if I have to constantly, you know, spend three more years in therapy, right? And so I kind of came in with this sense of pride in a, in a sense. So I was there for about 30 seconds before I realized this is about me. I am today years old when I realized that I am a trauma survivor, you wow. know. And But I went in with this, you know, which is not a negative thing or it's not necessarily a bad thing, thinking, oh, this would be great for me to be able to help other individuals. But realized that I then became the client very quickly. Mm. You know, but that's what happens when we're in therapy. Right. Right. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. And it's hard. I mean, it's hard work. I don't know for you. The second time I went to, to counseling was right after my mom had died and, and she had taken her own life. And um, kind of the people in my inner circle thought it was really important that I seek out that support, mostly, you know, to prioritize my own processing, my own mental health and well-being, but also just knowing that I was likely to encounter individuals who had navigated similar things as a psychologist. And so I went to that counselor for about a year and man, it was transformative, but it was uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. Why was it uncomfortable? Well, I had to confront some of the unhealthy yes. patterns in my life, yes. you know, and I think just we, we talk a lot about breaking down stigmas and I want to clarify, um, you know, I think there's a lot of fear around what my family or those people closest to me are going to think about me going to counseling. Mm -hmm. Like they're going to say, oh, you have mommy issues or you have daddy issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, first of all, we live in a broken world. So right. every relationship is broken. Right. And I'm not a parent. You are. But I can imagine it would be very challenging as a parent if your child is going to counseling because I think most of the time as parents, we want the best for our kids. We want to provide the best environment for them. And if there were to be that experience, maybe there's kind of a self-blame, like what right. did I do wrong, Absolutely. right? That wasn't in my mindset at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but my therapist was really good about, you know, after we'd built rapport, first couple sessions, mm -hmm. I really started to trust her and she listened and she validated what I was going through. Mm -hmm. She would kind of gently start to poke at some of those, what we call in our world, maladaptive yes. thoughts and behaviors that didn't really align with who God had created me to be. Right. So I had to face some of the choices I made about kind of having a savior complex and mm. feeling like my significance lied solely in being able to take care of other people mm -hmm. and how, you know, I was avoiding 
slowing down and really taking a holistic look at my own well-being and how certain social interactions really made me anxious because I felt like I was inadequate and didn't belong. Mm -hmm. All of which were false narratives that had become just a corporate part of who I believed myself to be. Yeah. And that's important in terms of, you know, when we, you know, sometimes we can function off of this noble intention, these noble intentions, right? Where I'm I'm busy, I'm doing things for other people, I'm 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 reaching out, I'm in a community, right? And then when you go to therapy, you really start to look at <laughs> the intentions behind that. Or, you know, if, if we were to use psychoanalytical language, we're always trying to protect the ego. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're going to shut down and put, you know, that we talk about the shadow side, everything that might come and undercut that ego. Yeah. Right. So if I'm, you know, I always use example that I had. It, it sounds funny now, but it really, you know, when I went to therapy, it became a major issue. I remember in um, my first year in my master's program, I said, OK, I'm going to get straight A's. OK. And you're going to be able to I, I'm sure you're smiling now because you're like, OK, this is. So you get all the psychosis behind it, right? I'm going <laughs> to get straight A's. I've always been an academic person. I'm going to get straight A's. And so I remember I got my first A minus and it was at the last, it was one of my last classes and I cried. I cried. That's fair. That's fair. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Craig's looking at me like, what is going on? That's your husband. That's my husband, my husband, Craig. And he's, he's awesome. And he's trying to figure out what do we what do I do with this right and I went to my therapist and I told him I was just like I just felt like I had this unusual breakdown over an a minus but it wasn't you know because our, our, our society says that's great you're smart you're this you're a high achiever you're successful you have a lot of fortitude my therapist says you have made your 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 academia and your uh, it has become your identity. Ooh. And it's becoming your identity because when you were younger, right, after I told he he knows my story, yeah. when you were younger, you weren't considered the pretty one. You weren't considered the most, the funniest one. You weren't considered the one that was a center of attention. But you made, the way that you made yourself stand out was you were the smart one. So that was your identity. And that's my identity. Mm-hmm. So when I got a grade that's, that undercut my my ego, I had this breakdown. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And so sometimes that's what, it, you know, some of the students are like, what if you go to therapy, you don't have any issues? <laughs> <laughs> then you're Jesus. Then you're Jesus. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let's take it back a minute because I bet okay. a lot of people listening have actually never gone to counseling or mm-hmm. to therapy and don't even know what it's like. So um, I, I know you've mentioned you've gone to counseling a couple times with different therapists. I've gone to counseling sure. a couple times with different therapists. Both of my therapists were female, mm-hmm. um, which wasn't necessarily a priority for me, but I kind of just kind of worked out. I reached out to some friends. I mean, it helps that we're surrounded by other counselors. That's kind of the world that we navigate in. Mm-hmm. So. The first time around, my school had a list, um, and I could pick off of the list, and I just scheduled with the first person that kind of had an availability. Right. Second time around, I really wanted to make sure, because it was an intentional choice on my part, knowing I had some things I needed to work through that it was a good fit. And so I reached out to some people that knew me well, Mm -hmm. who I knew knew therapists, Mm -hmm. um, and they made the recommendation. And I actually went to a couple different people before I really settled in on the person that I ended up working with for Mm -hmm. that year, Mm -hmm. um, who was a great fit just because she was a balance of 
genuine empathy and positive regard, really well at listening. But also for me, I needed somebody who was going to challenge me and and really kind of push me in certain areas mm-hmm. in appropriate ways. Um, how did you go about finding your therapist? Yeah, that that's I was very intentional, right? So you'll get the spectrum of people who just kind of who's available, what insurance they take and all that. And that I had to take that in consideration as well because I had limited insurance. But for me, um, you know, just going back, I wanted to see my first therapist because I experienced extreme depression at a certain point. And I couldn't explain that extreme depression. Um, but was, you know, I, what the issue for me was that someone who will understand that as a black woman. Mm-hmm. So I had anxiety about my going to counseling on top of my depression because I'm going to counseling as a black person, right? And that there's a lot of stigma surrounding that. So I wanted to look for someone that understood that apprehension. Um, but also understood me because a lot of, I believe my depression was related to me feeling as if I am constantly under, um, enormous scrutiny and, um, colorism and racism and historical factors that played into my identity and how I felt about myself. Mm -hmm. And for me, the only type of individual that would be able to understand that is somebody that looked like me or at least shared um, a, a, a same cultural background. Yeah. Right. And so there's there's two different ways that I kind of went about it. So the first time I looked for um, African-American women, um, there's not many. <laughs> right. There aren't smaller many. list to choose from. A smaller list to cho- choose from. Um, and so to kind of fast forward, you know, I've, I went through a few therapists and all of my therapists at this point, except for one, have been therapists of color. But recently, most recently, I chose um, a wonderful doctor, Dr. Um, Jamika, and she um, was my age, African-American woman, and she understood many of the things that I didn't have to explain. So sometimes when I go to therapy, you know, especially African-Americans that go to therapy or individuals of color that go to therapy, they want someone that they actually have to, they, that they can connect with without feeling like they have to be the constant teacher. Yeah, there's right? like an established common ground that's there's, already there. Absolutely. She can finish some, some of my sentences because she understands that, yeah. right? And, and all these nuances that just come with being from a similar culture. And so for me, I specifically chose someone that actually can experience, you know, and, and obviously we're not monolithic and that we're not, um, we don't have the exact same background and because of our disposition, we're not going to respond the same way. But you want representation. You want someone that actually looks like you and can understand what's going on in a personal context and a global context as well. So I, d- I was very intentional getting a black woman because she looked like me and I figured that she can identify with me the best, yeah. right? And she will not minimize any of my issues or things that I would bring up as, well, that doesn't exist or that, you know, doesn't matter. She definitely encompassed that and nurtured that and helped me work through that. So that's her. But then she moved, right? Mm, um, so not fair. I know. So we're then not I supposed w- to go anywhere. You're, not <laughs> at all. I was going to pack my bags and get on the plane to Texas <laughs> with her. I was going to be a stalker. What about Bob? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but the second um, therapist that I actually have, or not the second, but the, the most recent that I have is a black male. Okay. Um, this was a very interesting um, 
choice because it was very intentional as well. So our good friend, Dr. Wiggins, Dr. Valencia Wiggins and our colleague, she, I said, you know, I, I just lost my therapist and I'm looking for an African-American therapist because of the reasons I told you before, right? Um, and I'm wondering if you know of any women African-American therapists. She no, but I do know, you know, she maybe gave me a couple of them and then she gave me a black male. And I said, well, I don't know if I want, you know, um, a black male. And what my previous counseling was centered on was the fact that I didn't um, know my real dad and grew up with a very present father. And I, as I um, became a mom and got older, it really began to emerge how much it has affected my life. And for that reason, I didn't want a black ther- male therapist. Dr. Wiggins said, well, maybe that's what you need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true, right? Because sometimes what we're trying to avoid is the actual very thing we need to deal with. Absolutely. Yeah. And you talked about this earlier when we talked about neurons and synapse and all that. And we make then there's pathways in terms of the way that our, our brain thinks, right? Our brain says, okay, this is, you know, a threat. This is not a threat, mm-hmm. right? And so the way that there's, you know, there's this uh, idea of plasticity that our brains aren't fixed. So, so to be able to have our brains to say, oh, this isn't a threat. This isn't something bad. I don't have to, you know, in the amygdala, I don't have to tell you, oh my gosh, fight, you know, flight or freeze. What we have to do is allow ourselves to have new experiences. So our brain says, oh, this isn't a threat. Mm, that's good. Right. So going to a black male therapist was my, you know, by the, you know, recommendation and, and wisdom of our colleague was my attempt to say, okay, we have to get, I have to get new experiences with uh, black males so that I can um, alleviate the generali- generalization. We can write a new narrative. And write a new narrative yeah. and a realistic narrative because I do believe Black men are beautiful and loving fathers, and they, you know, there are, there are many that are supporting fathers. But my experience allowed, me, you know, shamelessly um, uh, put me in a space where I just was had a very hard time grasping that idea that they are supporters and it's supportive and they are for me, mm. you know. And so I intentionally picked him so that I can get that new experience. So my brain says, oh, there's a new pathway. I'm going to give you a new way to go home and go through the wheat fields, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and, and, and it's been the most remarkable and, 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 and healing type of therapy that I have that I have ever have wow. had. And here's the thing, like you said, it that's my reason for picking specific therapists. Some people might not care. Yeah. Some people might just want somebody their same gender, somebody their same experiences, you know, or whatever their issue is. But that's how I picked my therapist. Yeah. And I think what you're saying in that last comment is that reflecting on the motivation mm-hmm. is really important. What right. you know, preparing yourself as you pursue a therapist to ask why you know, what am I looking for? And then why is this what I'm looking for? Mm-hmm. And is there maybe a challenge to some of these areas that could actually be helpful in my ongoing care? Mm-hmm. But I want to go back to something earlier that we talked a little bit about, and that's this idea of kind of un- the unfortunate scarcity of therapists of color mm. and how 
for you and I think for a lot of other people, being able to meet with a, a counselor, a therapist, or a psychologist um, that represents their same cultural background. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're not monolithic, as you said. We don't have all the same experiences, but there's kind of a shared understanding. And yet that might not be something that's so readily available. Right. So, you know, I know for me, one of the really important critical factors as both a, a therapist and an educator of future counselors and therapists is um, how we come to the table as learners, mm. but also not with the expectation that our clients educate us. Right. Right. So it's really important for me that I surround myself with diverse counselor educators, that mm-hmm. I surround myself with a diverse community, that I'm reading and educating myself on the experience of other um, of other people so that if I am the person that, let's say, a client of color chooses to work with, that I'm not placing the burden on them right. to be educating me about their experiences any more than I just need to know about their day-to-day life, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so what are, from your perspective, if that person wasn't available, mm-hmm. if if a, a client was hoping to to connect with a therapist that represented their same um, cultural or ethnic background, but that wasn't available, mm-hmm. what should they look for in a therapist then? Oh, <laughs> that's a tough question. That's right? a good question. I mean, I think that I would look for someone who who is clear on the importance of multicultural competence counseling. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, how do I know that they're clear on that? What I tell my students when I always say you need to go to counseling, 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 right? You are free to ask that. Yeah. And the first session, in the second session, you are free to see if that's something that they actually hold to, that we're all supposed to hold to, right? To be multiculturally competent counselors. And so for me, how to navigate that, you know, and I I, I was in that situation. So between Dr. Jamika Moore and Dr. Thomas, who I see now, I was in this search, right? And I remember I called up, you know, my, you know, insurance and I said, okay, what do you have? Or I called up uh, the actual organization. I worked with before and said, okay, what do you know about other counselors in the area? I'm looking for a black woman in her 40s. I was very specific. She's just like, mm, so she's looking at Here's the one. Here's <laughs> the one, and she's moving to Texas, right? And then I said, okay, what about anybody that's African-American? No, we don't, we don't have anyone. So then I had to go down to gender. All right, so a woman, Okay. With that being said, she said, she set me up with the appointment with the woman. With that being said, I was a little nervous because then that takes out of the intersectionality of who I am, right? Mm-hmm. I am a black woman that, you know, and I have issues that center around that intersectionality, mm-hmm. right? And it's not just being a woman. So when I look for someone, I want them to understand that, yes, we have commonalities, but we also have very, we have, we're very different. Yeah. And I need you to understand that and not minimize that. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that's key. The minimization piece. Like, are you, are they addressing it? Are they acknowledging it? Are they validating it? Are they glossing over it? Exactly. So let me, so, so I go to this person, right? I'm in story mode today, you guys. I'm a historian, my verbal villain. Um, And she was great. However, I started talking about my experience or something that was bothering me. And I said, you know, I'm in a space that I am one of the very few African-American women and a space of a lot of, um, Caucasians and culturally I find myself 
not being authentic and I'm and just kind of telling her my experience of what it feels like to be the minority in uh, the context of majority culture, right? And I said, as an African-American woman, and the first thing she said was, no, I understand what you mean. All women go through this. Ooh. <laughs> Not not what you want to hear. Not what not I want to hear, right? Although there's there's truth, uh, there's truth to some some of that in terms of as women we do have similarities of what we go through as a group as a marginalized group. But what you did was minimize a portion of my identity that's very important to me. Mm-hmm. Right. And you made it about yourself. And she started talking about herself as a woman in the workplace that she works with all men. So she uh, she minimized it and then she conflated our issues and then took the focus off of me and onto her. Right. And so what that taught me was that as counselors, when we are actually faced with having a counselee that does not um, look like us or does not come from the same culture as us, because they can look like us, but come from different cultures. It is important that we have to be honest about that. We have to stay on top of our training. And there is a level where we have to say, you know yourself better than I know you, but I'm not going to put all the onus on you to teach me about your culture. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, you know, and you mentioned earlier, you teach teaching your students about kind of advocating for themselves as clients. And that's so important. And I think also, like you said, teaching our students to be um, to be the ones who are willing to step in and acknowledge the things that maybe we consider the elephant in the room or the uncomfortable mm-hmm. things, especially, you know, speaking from a white or Caucasian majority culture perspective, it is my responsibility as the therapist to say and to acknowledge, A, we can talk about these things. Like sure. I recognize the differences here in the room. Yes. B, I don't expect to be you to be educating me, but if there's anything um, that 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 you feel like I need to know more or, you know, always know that we can have those conversations. Mm-hmm. But I see that as my responsibility to first acknowledge. That's not the burden on the client. Exactly. Right? That is perfect. So important. Okay, so here's another question. Christian therapist, non-Christian therapist. <laughs> That's a huge one, right? That's huge. Our faith comes into it. Do mm-hmm. I need to go to a Christian counselor? What is a Christian counselor? Is mm-hmm. a Christian counselor different than a licensed professional counselor? Mm-hmm. Is a lay counselor a biblical counselor? We threw out the term newthetic counselor in a yes. previous podcast. What are all these different terminologies and how do I navigate my faith in the counseling session? And can a therapist who doesn't share my faith background even understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. That's huge. So I was and I was listening to a podcast and oh my gosh, I wish I can remember the podcast because I, I absolutely want to make sure that I give people the credit of where I heard it from. Um but he he was great and he talked about um the different types of counseling. So there's there's Christian counseling and non-Christian counseling. So yeah. those are the two camps. Yeah. But there's also a a ton of different types of counseling within Christian counseling as yeah. well. So, you know, he talked about looking at it as a scale from like uh, or, you know, a degree. If, you know, you look at on the left side, there is um, uh, secular counseling. And then on the far right side is biblical counseling. So if you look at secular counseling, you have people that actually are using psychology as their basis. They may use some type of 
biblical reference if they think it helps you and they may have a little bit of knowledge in it. But for the most part, it's going to be based on science. Yeah. Right. Um, now, I will say there's a there's there's a side note to that. And there's that that um, within the last few years, um, even secular counselors are understanding that religion and spirituality play a huge role in the health of clients. Yeah, it's a big support system. It's a big support system. So I don't want to say secular counselors or secular psychologists, they do not use it at all. And it is becoming very, very apparent that that is something that works well when you bring it into the counseling domain. So I do want to say that. But for the most part, their solutions, their parts, their healing comes from this uh, psychological and the scientific empirically researched base. Yeah. Christian counselors, on the other hand, you know, we have the Nuthetic, which is the biblical counselors. They're pretty much, it, it was quite, it, it was started by a, a man named Jay Adams. Yeah. Right? And so he pretty much says, all we need is the Bible. Right? And all it, the answers it, are found in Scripture. All the answers are found in Scripture, and which is true. Like, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, <laughs> me neither. <laughs> right? But so he says, though, but there's there's very little of the science that we really need to, to tap into because we can find whatever you are struggling with in the Bible. Okay? So those are more the biblical counselors, what we say, Jay Adams would say, nuthetic counseling. Okay? But then there are Christian counselors. So th- those might be psychologists that are Christians, Right. Or, you know, counselors or therapists that happen to be Christians. Yeah. So they have oftentimes a psychological base and their training is from a psychological base or a secular training. But they are they uh, introduce Christian um, and biblical concepts within the counseling, the counseling relationship. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like I said last time where it's just like it, you're kind of baptizing psychology a little bit. <laughs> and I don't know if there's anything wrong with that either, right? You're kind of baptizing psychology. I think the only thing with that, you and I talked about in the first podcast, is that we come from a framework where, you know, uh, theology is first, and that's our framework that we work from as opposed to psychology, and then we just try to fit whatever the Bible says about it. Yeah, let it. me find this scripture that fits with right. with. Right and, right, and so we come from a, you know, theology and what Christ says first, and then we use the psychological tools. Yeah. Um, but you have those therapists or those that, that happen to be Christians, and you may, you may get scripture, you may not. Um, and then there are, you know, again, the, um, the secular counselors, right? And then, again, they may not use it at all. Mm-hmm. So there's all these different domains of Christian counseling and counseling and non-Christian counseling and secular counseling. But I just wanted to be clear on those, you know, at least four of those that, oh, and actually there's one more where it's just a kind of all faith encompassing counselor where they'll take, they, it's not necessarily just Christian, but it's all different types like spiritual of Spiritual counselors. It's spiritual yeah. counselors, yeah. right? So for me, at least not... To be honest with you, I I think there's a space for all of them in a sense. Yeah. Because I find myself even in, if I'm talking to, you know, when I used to intern in Brooklyn um, and in, in, in L.A. as well as uh, at, at Fuller, I would see clients and they would need something different each time. I want to say something that's very important. Say that you are a Christian counselor, but you're working in a secular environment and you feel like you can't, you can't um, utilize Christian techniques or utilize the Bible. Does that mean that God is still not working in the session? Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Because here's the thing. I said this earlier, when we are actually Christians, it's not always the word 
that is create that 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 is needed for transformation. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is always working. Yeah. Our disposition. Jesus is so such a good listener. Yeah. He has such unconditional positive regard. He'll check us, but he still loves us. Mm-hmm. He shows up day after day after day. Christian or counselors do the same thing. Yeah. So even good, if we're good not counselors, in, do good, the same good counselors, right? Do the same <laughs> There's thing. There's some bad seeds out there too. <laughs> right. Let's just be honest. <laughs> and I think that's a good point because we, you talked about, I think we both did, we had to kind of go through maybe some of those bad seeds mm-hmm. or not the right fit. You know, maybe they're a great counselor, but they're not the right fit for me. And it's okay to see a couple different people, but I'm with you. I mean, you know, when I think back on my own experience of counseling and how my faith was impacted. So, you know, in hearing you talk about the different dynamics and the different, you know, types of counselors, um, which was a great description, by the way. Thank and you. we come from different places. I'm a psychologist. Your clinical mental health counseling more is your background. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely more science on my side, more mm-hmm. relational, you know, kind of the identity of the therapist and the counselor on your side. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, what was most important and what I think is really critical in any therapist, counselor, psychologist is this idea of client empowerment yes. and empowering the client to be um, to be fully themselves. Mm-hmm. And so for me, my, my counselor was a Christian, but we didn't actually talk a lot about that per se. Like she didn't actually. She mm-hmm. gave me the space to bring that in mm-hmm. and to feel empowered in who God had created and designed me to be. Mm-hmm. And so as I started to confront some of those false narratives and those identities that I was holding on to myself, I could, she created the space for me to come back to what my understanding of God was, who mm-hmm. God was in my life, mm-hmm. who God created me to be in relationship to him and kind of peel away some of those layers that were maybe false, unhealthy you know, not accurate, but always yeah. from my perspective. Mm. And she just kind of gently brought that out. And so to me, that that's such a critical element of the counseling relationship that a good counselor, mm-hmm. secular or not, Christian or not, I do think that there's a layer of understanding that happens when you're working with a Christian counselor. But even then, there's a whole bunch of different ways sure. of experiencing faith within the Christian community. Yeah. But being empowered to really explore things from your value set. Mm -hmm. But what I love, as you just shared earlier, this idea of the Holy Spirit always moving, it doesn't matter who my client is. Mm -hmm. I always see every person that walks through my door as a child of God made in his image. Absolutely, And I can, and I give them, and as a result, I don't give them, I don't give them anything. Mm -hmm. God gives it all, but they have inherent dignity and worth Mm -hmm. that is imperative. I reflect to them. Yes. And I love that. I love that, Deb, because that speaks to bearing one another's burdens, right? In terms of, and also how much God has given us. Yeah. And we're able to then extend that to our clients. And that's the important piece, right? Where I can still love you and I can give you unconditional positive regard and I can see you as a child of God because I've received that grace from him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that, I think, regardless of who you pick, you know, you do want to pick someone that there is an intentionality that some people have, and that's fine. But especially as counselors, 
our job as Christian counselors, like you said, regardless if the client is a Christian or not, we know what it feels like to receive that grace and to receive that love and to receive that, you know, that that empathy and understanding from God. Yeah. And so it's 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 important that we pass that along to them. And that might be. See, because one of the, that might be the one time that they are they, they they might be at a point where they're like, forget God, right? I don't because it, it could be a Christian that is this you know super close to not being a Christian any longer, I'm walking away and walking away. So we have to make sure that we use their our experience that we have had with you know our father and be able to 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 relay that to our clients, Christian or not, even in disposition. And that might be all they needed, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we think, well, if we didn't introduce the Bible, then. But what about what if it's someone who grew up in the church that were that was a pastor and they know the Bible from Genesis to Revelations, and then you throw a Bible scripture at them? That can foster more guilt. Oh yeah, shame and shame. Yeah, and you may be that last person that says, "I understand why you're hurt." Mm I understand, and yeah. I'm here, and that doesn't take that. That is the very personality and disposition of God, right? It's the essence of His it's ministry. It's the essence of His yeah. ministry. Oh, that's good. Yeah. All right. So I'm just curious. Final question. Yeah. Did you cry in therapy? Yes, <laughs> I cried every, every session. Every, and I would be going to work afterwards because you know, like when you have a flexible schedule, especially for me, when I was going the second time around, my therapist was like, "You're a therapist. I know your schedule's flexible, so can you take one of my daytime hours instead of my evening hours? Because those are precious time yeah. for clients that work full time." Yeah. So I had to go back to work, like snot dripping down my nose, <laughs> tears, mascara everywhere. I was like, "Come on, can't we have like a lighthearted?" She got right to the heart of everything and tears every time. Yes, you know we, you and I talked about this where my schedule is in the middle of the day and yeah. I have to usually after I go see my therapist I have to either do faculty meetings <laughs> or division meetings and I have about five minutes to get from my therapist's office back to the back to campus <laughs> and I'm like oh my god you know, I'm fine I'm okay you know I'm just, I'm just sweating through my eyeballs <laughs> right. well that's good. but that process of crying too like that to me you know, I'm not one who cries very often. And so being my, like, just this space to be myself, yes. to be authentically me yes. was so powerful. Yeah. I I always hope that that is the experience of every client that walks through my doors mm-hmm. and every soon-to-be counselor that that we have the honor and privilege of educating yes. will always create that space for a client yes. to just feel like you can be authentically you here without yes. judgment, without question, and with all validation. Absolutely. And that's the crux, I think, of counseling, where you can be emotionally authentic. Yeah. Right? And take off that mask. And you know what I say, that 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 superwoman cape, take off our capes. Yeah. Where you can be authentic, right? Even if it's for 50 minutes, because that then will allow you to experience that healing that you keep trying to shut out because the world just doesn't allow you to do that for various reasons or your past doesn't allow you to do that or you're you're, uh, trying to protect your emotional pain. So you're constantly living with this mask. But for 50 minutes, for you to just take off that cape, take off that mask and just be able to be your authentic self. That is the beginning of healing. Yeah. Oh, this was a great conversation. It was. I love it. So yeah. thank you. 